Hi everybody, welcome to Thrive, the podcast by the John Good Group. Um, we're here talking to family businesses about the good, the bad and the ugly of doing businesses in a family environment. Uh, today we're here at the Little Wald Vineyard. Um, you can probably hear some of the rain and the snow in the background. It's a pretty chilly March day, but I'm joined by the amazing Alice, who is talking us through all of the stories of this third generation family business. There's two massive takeaways for me from the podcast. So tune in, listen, see if you can spot what those themes are, and we'll discuss those at the end. Tell us the story of the business. Where did it start and, and the story all, all you know? Yeah. Uh, Fine, so um, I'm one of third generation on the farm now Mm -hmm. Um, and really kind of our chapter of it came into it in around 2012. So we own a fairly small arable farm um, when it was in first generation. So when my granddad bought it, originally we had a dairy herd and we then had um, pigs and poultry. And, you know, when my dad first took it over, he was under a million pound kind of business where they was turning over a lot of money. the land was really productive because the whole farm worked as a nice system where the cereals grew to feed the animals and the animals made different, you know, it, it worked as a really okay. good cycle. Um, however, that lasted for so long. Um, and the farmhouse itself and the farm is right in the middle of South Cave, which at the time when the farm was thriving worked really well for it and the village was small Mm -hmm. but as the village of South Cave grew it grew around the farmyard which essentially meant that it got to a point and any planning applications we put in to extend or develop animal housing routinely just got turned down a lot of people who were moving into the village who came for the village life perhaps didn't really know what village life was Mm -hmm. Um, you know they thought they were coming to just live in a very quiet area whereas actually farms are noisy yep. you know when you've got a couple of thousand pigs and whatever else it, it isn't quiet and they didn't want that on their back door mm-hmm. so um like i say routinely routinely planning applications were turned down and it got to the point where he couldn't keep up you know we we didn't have the number of animals and we needed to make it profitable and um, the animal housing wasn't up to scratch um, and along with that came the supermarkets so, you know, supermarkets were really pushing you down on price and mm-hmm. you had to be a certain size to make it viable. So you were squeezing the business, squeeze location-wise? Literally everything yeah. was, you know, at a point where we, we just couldn't do it anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so in my lifetime, I don't remember livestock on the farm at all. Oh, okay. Um, none. So I only remember the farm being arable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it lasted as arable f- up until about 2000. So we grew kind of wheat, barley, um various different cereals. My dad was one of the first growers in the country to grow broccoli mm-hmm. for bird's eye. We've grown peas. Um, but the problem with um, arable is that you've got really high overheads. So your cost of your combines, your tractors, etc., far outweigh anything that we could make um, on the land. So our land is split 50 50 50% of it is very steep chalky walled hillsides mm-hmm. um, at the time was great for the cows yep. so the cows would come up here in winter um, it stayed well drained etc and then the, we've got about 50% flat land which again when my granddad first bought the farm great because the cows would then go down there in summer so they'd graze up here in winter down there in summer yep. worked fine um, but like I say, farable farming, difficult because these hillsides aren't very fertile mm-hmm. and to drive a conventional combine harvester, etc., up them is difficult. Um, it's very steep, so the big machinery struggles. So we had to have very specialist kit, which is probably double the price of a conventional combine, okay. which in today's money for a conventional combine, you're looking at probably 300,000. So you can imagine expensive bit of kit mm-hmm. that comes out of the shed for two weeks a yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in 2000, um, cereal prices halved, fertilizer prices doubled, and all in all, being an arable farm just wasn't sustainable either. It, it wasn't working, um, and Dad took the very difficult decision to, well, the difficult and brave decision, really, to completely change things up. Mm-hmm. So we put all of our flat land into willow. Yeah. So we grow short rotation coppice willow and that crop is still in the ground today. Um, okay. The beauty of the willow was that you plant it and you leave it. And then in three years, a contractor comes in and cuts it and then it grows again. 
So we had different parcels of land which worked on a three-year cycle, which meant every year we had a crop. Okay. Um, but every year, like I say, a contract would come in, cut it, off it went, and had yeah. presto. That. And where did that go? Um, so at the time it went to... They had, there was a power station called Egbra, okay. um, and it was a government incentive at the time to try and make the move into renewables. Okay, so one of the pioneering biomass yeah, initiatives, abs- right? absolutely. Okay. So Dad was one of the biggest growers in the country for it. Um, he kind of pioneered going around the, the country shows and things to try and encourage other farmers to get into it, because mm-hmm. for him at the time, it had been revolutionary, you know. Yeah. So he got rid of all those big overheads from the combines he needed, the tractors he needed, everything he needed to do it. Um, and, and freed up some of his time, you mm-hmm. know, as, as well as that, it meant you're not cultivating the land every year, you're not having to go in and spray, you're not having to go in and use pesticides, you're not having to do any of that. So he was a real advocate yeah. for trying to push it. Um, and that, that worked on the flat land for sort of 10, 15 years um, until the um, Eggborough power station went bust mm-hmm. and we had to try and find another route into selling it. Uh, in the short term, it then went to Drax Power Station, um, but eventually it, it wasn't right for them either. So mm-hmm. it's kind of left us with, we've still got some of it in the ground. A lot of the Willow House come out now, okay. um, but we do still have some, um, but it's not as big a part of the business as it, as it probably was back then. Okay. Um, so that looked after the flatland, mm-hmm. um, but it left the hillsides pretty much redundant. So they were put into like a stewardship scheme, which is basically um, wild grass. So you plough it up and you leave it. Okay. Um, again, a bit of a government incentive. And what's that around? Massive. Biodiversity? Exactly or, right, that. Okay. Yeah, so it's around you know helping the environment, biodiversity. It's all native flowers that grow. Um, and yeah, it's it was all organic. So okay. it was a way of sort of giving something back. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, from our perspective, it meant that it didn't need heavily farming. So we didn't need the kit to yeah. go in. And, and you created an income from that, from the incentive? A small income, yeah. yeah. Like I say, it was nothing that was going to, you know, pay the mortgage or do anything yeah. like that. But the sort of income that meant, um, yeah, it, it ticked over. Yeah. It, it something it better than nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but come to sort of 2010, 2011, my dad was sort of coming to retirement age. Um, and he realised that the farm wasn't really in a place that either me or my brother could come back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd gone trained to be a primary school teacher. My brother was working on some quite large farms um, on the South Bank. Um, and yeah, the farm wouldn't really support either of us in you know, supporting our families and doing everything else. So um, he had to think of something different. Luckily, around that time, he'd been to visit some family um, in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of stumbled across this idea of a vineyard. Okay. Um, what did you need? A south-facing chalk hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came back off his holiday and kind of, you know, mentioned this to us. Um, I'm not going to lie, at the time, <laughs> we kind of thought, <laughs> interesting idea. Yeah. You know, I think there was a lot of smiling and nodding whether we really believed that this was going to become something or not. Um, and, and tell me about that whole decision-making period. Massive change, right? Yeah, yeah, massive. So how did, let's dive really deep into that. Okay. So your dad's come back from South Africa, he's got a big blue sky idea, (laughs) the rest of the family sat around the kitchen table. Yeah, yeah, literally. Talk me through the emotions, who's saying what, how how all that sort of unfolded. So like, so my dad's, he's done some pretty wild and wonderful things. Mm -hmm. I've I've missed out the part where we were going to be worm farmers. Um, we were going to be charcoal farmers at one point. Right. Um, he gave, what else have we done? Christmas tree farmers. Like, bless him, if he's, if, if he's read something in Farmers Weekly that's going to be the next big thing, you better... He's, he's thought you about better bet he's had a go at doing it, because, you know, anything to kind of keep the farm going, he's yeah. always been... Um, so, yeah, we, we were having these kind of... This, this meeting, and he discussed it, and, yeah... At the time, I was... How old will I have been? I was just finishing uni, so I'd have been sort of... 21, 22. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm honest, like my future was never really in the farm. Like okay. as a youngest daughter, yep. um, with older brothers, I just thought they'd inherit the farm business mm-hmm. and go into that, and I'd do my own thing. So I was probably a little bit passive in that conversation. Again, a bit of a smile and a nod, and yeah, of course, if you need my help, I'm I'm here to help, and yeah. I'll do whatever. And I'll drink the wine after. Yeah, <laughs> good at testing. I, I did a lot of that at did uni. You? I was really? I was okay. good at that bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
I think my brother was a, obviously a little bit more invested in the conversation in mm -hmm. that he's a he's 15 years older than me so further down his career chain probably more ready to move home and think about that sort of thing yeah um you know and had probably more to contribute at the time mm -hmm. you know he's done various different farmings of very different things so was probably more on board with the conversation if I'm totally honest than than I was okay. at that point yeah um so yeah, a lot of smiling and nodding and mm -hmm. thinking, wonderful. Yeah. While I was deep inside thinking, really? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> um, but, we make the decision. Yep, decision's made. Talk to me about the first few years as you start to really progress and plant yeah. those first vines. And so I'd say one of the big, the big points in that where I probably came more involved was a quite serious discussion around the fact that... Um, so. I should say actually, so the vines were in the, in the ground for four years before you get any wine. Yep. Um, and it was we were coming to realise that actually, maybe I did want I did want to join in and did want a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then even more so, it became a point because um, Dad's family decided they wanted to sell up, okay. so the farm was potentially going to get sold. And this was really at a point where it did become a bit of a crisis meeting because none of us actually wanted to sell like the farming's kind of in your blood and the land's in your blood and you've grown up around it and looking at my dad's face of this thing of they want to sell up mm -hmm. was i could see the face of terror of we're not going to sell up like what we're going to do so at that point we really had to think of ways we can delve in and get involved and um f find a way to make buying this place viable mm -hmm. um and, and at the time you're teaching, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was doing my teach training. Yeah. Um, so you've got a load of it, you know, you've gone into education, yep. you've got your qualifications, you, you're yep. doing that. So how are you feeling at that point, giving up a career that you've, <laughs> that you've focused on for a period of time? So initially, it was kind of a thing of, um, is this, not is this really happening? I don't think at that point I knew the journey that was in front of us and I don't think at that point I knew the scale of how this was going to grow and I don't think at that point um, yeah I, I, if you'd have told me I'd be sat here talking to you in a podcast in this venue on this site mm -hmm. doing what we've done I wouldn't believe you yeah you know I just thought I was kind of there to help um you know, one of the things I'd say about a family business and being in the family is, is you've always got each other's back. So, you know, even if it was just that they wanted me to come up and mop floors or do mm -hmm. whatever, that's that's what I've done. You know, that's yep. kind of part of it. So I think at that point it was a bit of a, here's maybe something I can do to help, but whether it's going to sort things out or not, I'm not sure, but I'll contribute. So my first real contribution was the wedding side of it. Mm -hmm. um, like I say, driving tractors, not really my thing. Um, you know, been outside pruning and whatever else, I'll do it for a day or two, but it was never my ambition to do that for my life. Yeah. Um, but something I had come across was outdoor weddings. So um, I'd looked after some children who owned a TP company and okay. I'd seen this idea of outdoor weddings. Some of my friends were getting married at the time and I knew how much um, people were making for renting land out and things. And I thought, actually, that is something I can do because mm -hmm. um, I can organise I like that side of it, I like delving in with people and, and whatever else. Um, so I suggested this is my my input to the business. And I think they did at me what I did at them when they were told me that they were going to plant some grapes. You know, yeah. it was a bit of a, all right then, if you want, you can give it a go. Uh -huh. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a no, it wasn't a, you know, is this real serious? It was a bit of a, mm -hmm. go for it. Like, if you think you can make it work, have a go. Yeah. Um, and really, for me, that's where I properly came into it, I suppose. And again, things just totally snowballed from loosely kind of advertising this bit of field that we had with an amazing view and the prospect of some wine being on there mm -hmm. to sat in a building that, yeah, we're now hosting, what, 40, 50 weddings a year mm -hmm. in a totally tailor-made building with mains and electric and all sorts of things, which, again, at the time... I wouldn't have dreamt it from, you know, the, the very first wedding we did, I cut three acres of grass with a petrol lawnmower. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> How long did that take you? <laughs> oh, the, leg, the muscles in my legs I did not know I had. <laughs> Good workout, right? <laughs> that was, uh, but, you know, again, it was, this is going to work and uh -huh. we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And that's... So uh, what's fascinating already is 
you've got uh, almost a healthy dollop of scepticism in the family for, for oh, new ideas. Yeah. But at the same time, those ideas are then backed to get on with. A hundred percent. How does that work in a family dynamic? So you've clearly got your, your dad's involved and he's around it and you've got yep. your brothers. So you've got a family unit, but you've also got a business unit. So, so how does that all work? I'd say it's something that's definitely evolved over time. Uh-huh. Um, and again, as the business has grown, it's been quite nice in that we've all kind of fallen into our own strengths and departments as such. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, my brother, very hands-on, very practical man. You know, you you give him a, a tractor with a broken something, he can fix it. You need a post putting in an obscure place, he can fit it in. Mm-hmm. You need a, you know, I don't know, any anything practical, he can do and sort. Yep. Um, my dad's, like I say, he's been a ballsy man in business. He's he's built businesses up. He's been businesses at low points so he's got that resilience mm-hmm. um, and he knows that if it's worth a try let's give it a go you know don't do anything totally stupid obviously but he's not afraid to give it a go mm-hmm. and he's always got our backs with what we're doing and then I think I've come from more of a bit of a I say corporate teaching aspect of it where um, I've had to work within teams I've had to work within time frames I've had to work within policies farmers aren't very good with health and safety policies <laughs> or having policies at all so that's something that I've probably brought to the side to uh-huh. it a bit more um, and again that kind of marketing and sales and having to comply mm-hmm. um, so the three of us have got different skills which we've managed to sort of merge together and use to our best which yeah it, it's not I mean, that easy really but nice yeah stuff. it complements each other you know don't get me wrong there's times when we've got completely conflicting ideas and it's probably a battle of the strongest will and we're uh-huh. all quite strong-willed and uh-huh. we're all quite stubborn <laughs> and who but, wins that battle oh it depends what it's about <laughs> <laughs> is that you then no <laughs> um but it's yeah it, it it works yeah so the other thing that's really interesting from your story of how the business has developed is there's clearly uh, an entrepreneurial flair that runs through every one of the generations yeah and especially from the stories about your dad and what he's done and what he's tried to do how do you feel about having to take that entrepreneurial mantle on and be that creative for the next generation to pass the farm on and how are you going to capture that spirit um I think again it's just about being supportive and listening to ideas and again like I say I think when we first came into this the business is in a totally different place to what it is now so the risks have to have to be a little bit more calculated because it isn't just me my dad and my brother Mm -hmm. it's now me my dad my brother and you know 16 other staff so we've we've got a bit more responsibility there that we've got to make sure of um we we did buy the farm so Mm -hmm. we've we've also got that that to firmly look after now yeah um but i think it is just having that open mind mm-hmm. you know it isn't just a fixed track that we're on and I think that's a massive thing in business that I've learned is that you can't just do things one way you, you've got to be able to be dynamic and be able to see past your view you've got to see other people's views because people see things from different perspectives and can bring their own experience into things to perhaps push you down routes that you might not have thought of mm-hmm. um, and where do you get that inspiration from personally where are you getting your ideas from and, and how do you bring that into the business? I'd like to think one thing life has taught me is just to have an open mind mm-hmm. um, and to try and see things from different people's perspectives. And one thing dad has always taught us is if, if you can experience something or do something, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that be travel, whether that be a day trip out somewhere, whether you've been invited to sit in the background of a meeting or whatever that could be, um, try some different food or listen to whatever, do it. Mm-hmm. Because that then opens your mind to different things. Um, and like I say, for me, that's something I definitely push like with my own kids and with my nieces and, and everyone involved in the family mm-hmm. is get the experience. Yep. Um, and are you planning for the next generation to come through is that is that your ambition definitely so um so my brother's sort of 15 years older than he Mm -hmm. so as you can imagine his kids are much older than mine (laughs) um so my niece ellie is 22 she's just finishing off her masters um, and potentially in september um, hopefully she'll kind of start stepping back into things oh wow so that'll be fourth generation in yeah the yeah so that's right. fourth generation yeah. um my kids are a, a bit young at the minute however 
Harry's You've a not da- got them working on the Harry's farm yet. Harry's a yeah. dap hand at winter pruning. <laughs> oh, I was really? about okay. to say they're both pretty good when it comes to picking uh-huh. grapes and whatnot. So, and and they've had no choice. You know, since both of them being born, mm-hmm. they've either been strapped to my back, knocking in purse for marquees, or yep. um, sat in the middle of a marquee while I was sorting tables out, or coming up with me the next day to do whatever or you know I mean when I first started I had meeting couples in my front room with Harry as a baby laying on the rug doing whatever you know this this hasn't started from flush beginnings this has started from the bare bones of us literally doing everything we can with what we've got Um, and they bless them both of them have been totally involved in that every step of the way so I do think it is kind of already in in their blood to an extent, mm-hmm. um, and we and they see the highs and the lows of it. You know, they see me when I'm absolutely exhausted and I feel like I've passed everything. But then they also see me coming home with an award in my hand when we've had an amazing night out, and and they you know they see people talking about it and, and whatever else. So hopefully they're seeing kind of the full spectrum yeah. and it inspires them in a way that they want to be a part of it Mm -hmm. okay you talked about highs and lows so let's get into (laughs) that topic yeah um what's been the biggest low in your journey here christ oh there's there's been a lot of really difficult times um Mm -hmm. and i'll pretend if if there hasn't it's been hard um everyone will go on about covid but covid for us was a really difficult time um we just so like i said we, we'd bought the siblings out so we'd just taken on a massive loan mm-hmm. to buy those guys out which we had to make repayments for and things and um, we'd just taken for us a massive gamble of building the initial room that we had here next door okay. um, which had taken us months and thousands to get through planning because that had been a real uphill battle and um, one of our big challenges is we're the first vineyard in East Yorkshire, so yep. no one's ever heard of it. No one knows what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Everything, one thinks it's a bit of a pie-in-the-sky idea. So to get planning and everything through, it took some real convincing of people that, look, we're a farm diversification. We're doing this to save the farm, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's been a real battle to get it there. And then again, to build the other room, again, costs and everything had kind of spiraled. So we had a, another big debt there that we had to pay. And then COVID hit and yep. literally our income stopped. Wow. So, you know, you're looking at the bank balance, you're looking at the money going out and just literally thinking like, how the hell am I going to yep. sort this so out? So that was the events business to zero, to zero. understandably. Yeah, yeah, that was and wrong. what was happening on the vineyard side at that point? So the vineyards themselves mm-hmm. kept running, you know, it's, yep. it's farming, it's plants in the ground. Um, that side of it as such didn't move too much. Mm-hmm. It was more how on earth we paid for it, yep. you know, where like the the revenue had just just literally stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, before before all of this, so before sorting out loans to buy the farm, before doing this, like I hadn't even had a credit card. Like I was literally, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so suddenly seeing all of this and knowing you've got these repayments and, and, and how are you gonna do it? You just sort of think, so what that, was the darkest you know, hour in all of that? Oh, so many, so many. <laughs> um, just knowing how you're going to get day to day, I think, a, a few things. So one of them, um, as you'll know, weddings stopped. Mm-hmm. And we had like so many couples booked in. And I'd built really personal relationships with these people. You know, They trusted me to book their wedding with us. They were paying us a lot of money to host their weddings yep. for them. And they were ringing me and saying, what's happening? And I mean, I was, we were getting the information at the same time as the other news bulletin, so um, I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. And, and they were ringing me for confidence, and yeah. I was thinking, oh, well, how am I gonna, I, I, just how, well, it was just a complete minefield, as, you know, I was trying to promise some things I couldn't really promise. I was then trying to have to look through contracts to see how that worked, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you wanted to support them, but I had to look after us as well, and I couldn't promise them things, and it was honestly like, a, a, just a minefield as yep. to how on earth I was going to do it um, and then you know we rationalised it we looked at various different things thought no we can do this and we can come out the other side and and then we decided to build this place mm-hmm. which again at the time everyone said what are you doing you know we're in the middle of a big health pandemic um, no one knows when we're coming out of it but again that that kind of gritty side of us knew that if we were going to build now was the time because we're shut mm-hmm. you know it's not the time to start doing this when we can be making money yep, no again. Disruption no disruption. Else, yeah. So let's, if we're going to develop, let's do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. Um, planning went through much easier that time. I think they'd realised what we were doing. Um, we'd got the quotes in. We'd instructed builders. We'd got stuff in the ground. They were starting to dig. 
Um, and then we got a phone call about a week before Christmas and the bank just said, we're not going to fund it. Wow. <laughs> just what you need. Just what you need. Okay. So, you know, when you're sort of like, literally, I, I can't even, you know, like so the, you the, the builder, call, we'd, right? we'd literally paid deposits, yeah. builder on site, materials on site, we'd, and then they just said, nah, ring us back in April or May. We wow. don't know what's happening. And I was like, no, it needs to be built by May because yep. I've got weddings starting in May. Like, that can't happen. Yep. Um, and yeah, literally, like... So bank pull the rug? Bank pull the rug, yeah. What's the first step after that? Um, so there was... Um, was the tears? I think I'd gone past the point of tears at that point. I think it was just a... How are we going to sort this out? Uh-huh. Um, a lot of Googling. Yeah. <laughs> Google's got me quite a long way in this. <laughs> Um, and we managed to, we, we spoke to all sorts of people about different forms of finance, but at that point, again, there'd been another wave of COVID mm-hmm. and no one would touch hospitality. Yeah. And again, that was a massive difficulty for us because I was trying to explain to people, yes, we're hospitality, but we're also a farm. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I'd managed to build the wine sales up. So our wine sales had gone up like 130% mm-hmm. on the previous year. Um, money was still coming in from that side. So we still had money coming in. And actually, somehow, I'd managed to grow the business mm-hmm. in, in that time, technically. But trying to convince them of that, yep. you know, they were just like, no, hospitality. No, it's hospitality. We're not going to yep. touch it. Um, so, and at this point, the builder, bless him, it was also Brexit. Mm-hmm. So we had that to contend with building materials. And he was just saying to me, if we can't get it now, your building cost is going to go up massively. Yep. And I've got other jobs starting, so I'm going to have to leave. So <laughs> it really wow. had to happen. Wow. Um, so how, so how did you fix that? Um, so eventually, we managed to get a bridging loan. Okay. Um, again, terrifying when yep. you look at the interest rates on those yep. things. Um, and again, once, once we got into it, when I realised how much even just securing the loan was going to cost. Mm-hmm. But again, we knew that we had to get it done. Yeah. Um, and I knew that I could get us out of it. And I looked at the, you know, looked at the forecast, looked at everything else, and it was going to work. There was, there was no way it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I kind of told you from stuff that's happened before, that's kind of been our mentality through it. And I think when you've got so much emotionally and personally and everything invested in it, that's just the attitude we had to have. Yeah. Like, it was going to work. Your story is a, one of um, real resilience in the face of quite a lot of adversity. Do you recognise that in yourself? Just how resilient you actually are? Yeah, I think like I think so many different things happen throughout your life, um, and again through all the different experiences that we've had, and just all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been points where I probably wasn't as resilient as I am now, and you know I'd real upset about. I remember doing um, I did a when I'd done my degree, I went on to do a early years professional status, and the first time round I failed, mm-hmm. and I remember at the time being distraught, like I have failed, like how have I failed it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the woman teaching me at the time just said come on like pull yourself together you actually look you were two marks off it was fine you can do it again yep. and it took me a lot but I came round to it and then I came out with like an outstanding kind of thing after it mm-hmm. um, and I just thought oh actually what is the worst that can happen yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know you failed it but so what yeah. like pull it round and do it again um, just just what is the worst that can happen mm-hmm. eventually you come to that point and you know, you have these terrible times and you get through them and then next time you think, oh, well, what's the worst thing that happened? They're going to pull the funding. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll find a way to sort it. Yeah. You know, what's the worst that's going to happen? The water's going to stop running. Oh, well, don't worry, we'll sort it. You know, th- there's always a way out of something yep. um, and you've just got to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. As long as, again, you're willing to be open-minded and diverse in your approach, you, c- you can do it. Yep. You've just got to want it enough yep. and you've just got to be open-minded enough to look at the way you can do it. Okay. Okay, let's change tack a little bit. Yeah. So in the last 10, 11 years, really two big new businesses have grown out of the farm. Yeah. In the vineyard and, and the event side of the business. Do you remember the exact time where you went, we're onto something here? Yeah, I think for me personally, I think the, the wedding side of it, I suddenly realized that it could be something big mm-hmm. and, you know, there was just massive potential for it. And when people started copying us, mm-hmm. you realise that you're yeah. doing something you right. Are doing all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
And that was Do one of those moments. Do we have a name and shame where, at this no, point? No, no, no. No, maybe copying you. I don't know. Is copying the right idea? But when people start doing the same as you're doing, you think, yeah. well, we We're must be something. doing something right because yeah. people are taking note and mm-hmm. they're now doing things in a very similar way to what we're uh-huh. doing it which they maybe weren't before or people are yeah jumping yeah. in and you think right so that was the time you thought actually we've got something here there's yeah. other people starting to copy me now exactly we're, we're so how do you stay in front of the pack for me i think you you've got to do you mm-hmm. and you've got to do you well mm-hmm. so you've got to have some kind of unique quality to what you're doing and push at that you know personally from the wedding side of it anyway, I don't necessarily look at my local competitors. I look to what people or other vineyards are doing in Australia or South America okay. or wherever it is. So I look further afield mm-hmm. for my inspiration and try just to be true to us. Yep. So, you know, we were originally an outdoor venue yep. who offered a tailored wedding. To me, essentially, we're still that. And um, we've just got a really nice building and cement and, <laughs> yeah. and things in place of where we once had canvas. Uh-huh. And that's really what I still try and push. Yeah. Um, where and, and do those values that you talk about, they come from the family? I think, think so, yeah. Where, it, where they're from? Yeah, exactly. You know, we're, we're a farming family at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Um, we, we've always, or I've been lucky enough to do some really nice things in my life and be to really nice places. Mm-hmm. But actually, from doing that, I've learned that most people are just normal people inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, you know, that's, I wouldn't say it's a front, it's, it, it's a thing that we do and apply ourselves to, but actually most people are more comfortable in just being themselves and who they are. Yeah. Um, and that is exactly what we do, you know. I'm much comfier in a pair of jeans and boots at work uh-huh. than tottering around in heels and whatever because yeah. I know that chances are in the middle of a wedding I've got to go fill a generator up or, you know, mm-hmm. go and move a trailer or whatever else. And that's where I'm comfortable. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be comfortable. So when do you feel that sort of almost imposter syndrome feeling what, what environment that the business takes you and do you ever feel like that um apart from podcasts <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um i think some of the wine stuff i do i'd be honest and say that i feel a little bit like that say so we came into this with no wine experience uh-huh. and then like last year I, I was asked to sit on a board for wine gb for like marketing okay. and i thought a marketing yeah. <laughs> again I've got a qualification in teaching like to say I've winged this would be an understatement like you know we've made our website I do all our social media yeah. I make all of our marketing material yes yeah. but I mean totally self like self-taught um, I think you do yourself a disservice though. oh no you you are the brand in itself right no, so it, no I think yeah it, it feels weird mm-hmm. and then so you sat on this board yeah. There's a lot of other people around. Oh, from like really right. established places, which are like proper fancy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then there's just, just me. <laughs> from East Yorkshire. <laughs> me from East Yorkshire. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> right, but how so did that go though, right? Yeah, no, it was good and it was yeah. really interesting. And I, I do think they, they heard what I was saying and, and everything else in yeah. that. Um, and when so you, again, just... And when you come out of that environment, how do you feel about it after you've gone through it? So I'm quite self-reflective, so quite often I'll come out of it and think, oh, maybe I should have done that, maybe I should have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think every, every day is a learning day, right? Yep. So next time I'll go into that meeting feeling, right, I remember this from last time and that's how I'm going to apply it. And, yep. and it's funny you say that because my, my whole thing around imposter syndrome is I think everyone feels it at different it, it, times. Exactly. I don't know one person I've ever met, regardless yeah. of job, status, whatever, who doesn't end up feeling like they can be a little bit anxious about an environment that they're walking yeah, into. Yeah, definitely. But there's two things. You're anxious because it's important and you want to do well. Yep, totally. And then at the end of it, you turn around and go, well, it was just a learning experience. Yeah. And if you if you walked into it as a, this is just a learning experience, I think you'd be quite chilled. Definitely. But, but you don't. And, and I think this is a thing that actually as business leaders, there's always this impression that we are supposed to be comfortable in every single environment regardless. Yeah. And I think it, it does, I, I think it does the business leader community a massive disservice. Actually, most of us, you know, sometimes feel a bit of pressure and feel a bit of anxiety about a new situation. But actually, we've got to reframe the whole conversation. Definitely. They're just learning opportunities. We're all people. No one's perfect. Yeah. And and you've described that perfectly, just just what you're talking about there. Talking about your development as an individual. Yeah. How do you, do you have a mentor? Do you, how do you network? How do you take on your learning and how are you growing personally? I think I've done quite a few different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So... 
it, I'll be honest, like I am a bit of a closed book and like my dad's here now, but he'll tell you I'm, I'm terrible at asking for help. It's never been my strong point. I'm quite independent and quite like to get on with stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but I have, something I've learned is that I've, I have got to ask for help sometimes and there are things that I can't always do. So um, we were really lucky and we had um, a guy come to us who had just finished a career in investment banking um, sorry not in corporate banking sorry mm-hmm. um, he had a really interested set up banks in sort of different parts in Europe etc and basically he'd been on one of our vineyard tours and found our business interesting okay. and sort of said did we want any help mm-hmm. um, and he did a few sort of mentoring things with me mm-hmm. um, and helped me around some other business jargon again yeah. for me that was something massive and I'd always felt a bit embarrassed but you'd go into a meeting and they're talking about you know, going through our accounts and talking about different things. And if I'm honest, I didn't really understand. I'm just yeah. going, yes, yes, I can see that that figure <laughs> says that. Yes, is that good? Brilliant. Because, and, and I had no idea what it meant. Yeah. I was just, again, smiling and nodding. And mm-hmm. um, and that was really helpful. Yeah. And then I have been part of some networks. So we've got like a few little women in business kind of groups that I've been yeah. a part of. But even that, quite often, I'll feel a little bit feel a bit humbled to be there you know I'm here with sat with really kind of inspirational women who are all sort of 10 15 years older than me mm-hmm. um and and sort of relating to them is a bit weird sometimes it's do, nice do you ever I, consider that they're probably sat there looking at you going wow you're an inspirational woman oh, no. that's 15 years younger <laughs> than me have you no. ever thought about that they're probably all sat there pretty jealous that there's someone no. that's doing what you're doing that's 15 years younger mm. Ooh. Think about that I'll next time you're that. in that yeah. room, for sure. <laughs> so, and but do you do so? You you mentioned a business mentor early. Mm-hmm. Do you do anything like that now for either for yourself or do you do that with others? Um, not as such. Mm-hmm. Um, although again, it is something that I've been thinking about lately because again, the business is kind of one. I should just backtrack a little bit. Like one thing I've found is because our business is so different it's often quite hard explaining it to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people I've found in a position to mentor often have a very different background, which I think is interesting because they're coming at it from a different sphere yep. and they're coming at it from a different um, perspective, mm-hmm. but sometimes not that relatable, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I think it's really finding the right business mentor that has a similar experience and knows the dynamics of the family business, yep. knows the dynamics of um, the business front of it, but the emotional side of it as well, because that can be quite a difficult thing to, to manage. Yep. Um, and can you find that network within the, either the farming community or the wider sort of wine vineyard community in Yorkshire or further afield? Does that exist? Um, I would personally I don't think it does in the farming I think okay. you'll find farmers are quite closed books yeah um, male or female um, I mean I've got a friend who is um, she's a pig farmer mm-hmm. um, and she works with her dad so it's nice like we'll have chats about things yep. which is helpful because again there is some kind of relation there to it mm-hmm. um, but I've never really found a professional network as such that that does that yeah okay and the, especially the vineyard industry in Yorkshire is starting to thrive, right? So we're yeah, not yeah. in commercial, vine- uh, commercial vineyards now yeah. in, in Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, you guys clearly sort of leading a bit of the charge on that f- for a while. Yeah. So what's next for that particular industry? Where do you see that going? Uh, I just think it's an onwards and upwards spiral. You know, um, viniculture is one of the biggest growing sectors in ag- agriculture at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really interesting, we were at the Wine GB Awards last year, and Oz Clark always gives like an opening talk on the, the English wine industry as a whole and mm-hmm. where it's going and what it's doing. And he actually made a point of saying like Yorkshire is the next Champagne. Like in ten years, it's yep. going to be exactly the same growing conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is just going to grow and get bigger and yep. hopefully we're, we're 10 years ahead of anyone now that's going to start. You know, yep. we've, we've got the experience now that we didn't have before. Um, we've adapted farming skills that, you know, we had previously from agriculture, but, you know, dad and Tom know these hillsides inside out. They know how to drive machinery on these hillsides. They know how to cultivate the land on mm-hmm. these hillsides. They, they can do all of that in their sleep, whereas people coming into it don't have that. So. Yep. Hopefully we can help help them. Hopefully mm-hmm. we can be the help that we didn't have. You yeah. know, 
we were doing this blind, it was, mm-hmm. again, Google. Yeah. <laughs> Google and a bit of research and a, you know, fingers crossed and yeah. a, it's going to work kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, hopefully, we can give other people a little bit of help and guidance of things that we did right, things we did wrong. And, um, yeah, be be a part of what is gonna going to be inevitably a big thing in this region. Yeah, and is that a, sort of an outcome of climate change? Is that what, what's really driving this sort of potential new market in Yorkshire? I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, you know, the, the increase in temperature and things that we're having, um, I mean, that can be an issue as well, because mm-hmm. you can have the kind of adverse weather that we get, the late frosts, okay. etc., can be massive issues. Yeah. Um, however, it is getting warmer, mm-hmm. um, and we are on the right soil, so you know it, it marries up. Yeah, we've um, just got to keep getting the, the quality there. Yeah, okay. So well, we've touched on sort of climate change a little bit there. What about ESG? Incredibly sort of popular topic of conversation around businesses of all sorts, yeah. the environmental impact, looking after the local sort of societal bits and then clearly looking after the business as well. Yeah. What things are you doing here to sort of address some of those key points? So go on, ESG, put it, put it in long words for Environmental, me. social governance. Oh, there we go. So well anything done. we're doing about the planet, the people or <laughs> yeah, the business yeah. itself. So, so environmentally, I think we do quite a lot. So okay. um, again, as farmers, we've, well, Dad and Tom have always had sort of good practice in mind. So we stopped using pesticides on the farm a long time ago. Okay. Um, when they're spraying, they can spray as minimally as possible because they know how to do it, yeah. do it at the right time and do it right. Um, things like planting woodlands always been really important to us. Mm-hmm. So um, as you drove up, you'll see we've just planted about um, 100 trees just as you drive up because strong believe that what you take away, you've got to give back. Yep. Um, there's been quite a big push in Wine GB for sustainable vineyards. Yep. And I found it really interesting because I went down to sort of a conference to listen to it all. And all of it was stuff we were already doing. So, you know, leaving your hedgerows, um, leaving parameters when you're cutting grass so that the wildlife can go and live in there. Uh-huh. All things that we've we've already always done. Yep. So so that was really good to know. Um, I think more from, from a business side of it, like, you know, running logistically this place and those sort of things as well, we are really conscious of it. So we've been looking at packaging it's quite mm-hmm. a big thing for us for the wine yeah um trying to use all renewable kind of things that we can we've tried to cut plastic out as much as possible um even from our like sparkling wine bottles we've removed foils okay. which we came across a bit of criticism for at first right but to me it's just something else that ends in landfill that isn't really necessary yeah so actually i've pushed at it more and said you know we've had a few people that have come to us and sort of oh what are you doing that for you you're taking away the quality aspect of it and i was Mm -hmm. like well i'd rather do that than pollute the earth actually (laughs) so actually let's look at why that's on there and and you're finding the the marketplace and the buyers are that focused on these little elements is some right okay. not all yeah but some are yeah yeah and And that's actually you're willing to trade that wine but you're willing to trade those people off to go to your values um in the nicest way yes because yep. i think you we believe strongly enough in it and mm-hmm. i think like i say we farm sustainably we, we try and run this place as sustainably as possible mm-hmm. why wouldn't we package sustainably yep. um and we've got one we've got one earth mm-hmm. <laughs> look after it yeah um it makes sense um and when we're talking about future generations i want them to do the same you know and hopefully they'll think of other ways and be brave enough to test it and try it out mm-hmm. i mean if it had been a complete failing we'd sold zero bottles because of this change yeah would we have reevaluated? probably yeah um but luckily you know i think we had a strong enough argument when it it came to these that we were able to address it and say mm-hmm. actually and you know funnily enough now <laughs> there are other vineyards doing the same yeah so you know you've led the uh, way on it yeah hopefully these other places have whether they've done it because of us or because of whatever, they've seen it and thought, no, actually. Do you think sustainability go. is going to be one of the sort of key competitive areas in the industry over the next few years? And about how you tell that story and what you do internally? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I think especially the younger generations sort mm-hmm. of coming through are definitely more conscious of it and are definitely aware of it. Okay. Um, 
Uh, and what, what sort of things are they saying? What are they asking? What are they interested in? So for us a lot, like, so we grow a lot of wildflowers up here. So we used to have, the front of this building was covered in wildflowers. And as you drive up, it was covered in wildflowers. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people that were just in awe of them. Yes, they look really nice. Mm-hmm. But they were actually interested and loved the wildlife side of it. You know, they were happy to see the bees. They were happy to see the various different insects. Yeah. Whereas I think at one point that would have been a bit like, oh, what do you mean you've got bees? Why uh-huh. are you encouraging bees? Whereas I think, you know, people are open and excited by that now it's not uh something to shy away from mm-hmm. um and you know when we do the weddings and things we try and use as many local supplies as possible and we try and encourage the suppliers to be as sustainable as possible um again on the flower front we've got a florist who um, she grows most of the things at home she tries not to import um and that has been quite strong for us to push that because mm-hmm. i just think it just adds to the credentials and genuine ethos of the business. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked about the environment. Let's talk about people. Yeah. What's the industry doing to bring in young people, um, address, you know, bring in apprenticeships? Other, yeah. You know, how's that all working? Um, so we have got a vineyard apprentice. We've okay. got one of the first vineyard apprentices in the country. Wow. Um, so it's the first game that's ever run. Yeah. Um, typically with wine. Yeah. <laughs> it's down south. So it's at a college called Plumpton. Okay. But we've got one of the first people ever yeah, doing it. So amazing. that's that's quite when did exciting that in itself. Start? So it's just coming up to the finish of the first year. Brilliant. Uh, second year, sorry. Yeah, brilliant. Um so that's been interesting again, something different for us to be involved in, but that we wanted to give a go because yeah. we realised that people again, no one in East York not no one, not many people in East Yorkshire wake up one day and think oh I not want to do yeah. I want to work on a vineyard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know finding staff has been a challenge yeah. and and finding staff with skills yeah. because they, they don't, don't exist we didn't have skills to start with so mm-hmm. how can we expect people stepping into it so yeah you've got and is to that be... course content is it is it hitting the brief are you finding the stuff that the course is d- developing exactly the right skill set for what you're looking for yeah so f- from, from the vineyard side of it yeah. definitely yeah. yeah 100% great um from the kind of hospitality side of it, we, we haven't tapped into that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tentatively looked looked at it, mm-hmm. um, but it's not something we've properly pushed into as such. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to have to more because the team has to grow, but we're a bit of a different venue as such to a lot of the other venues in the area again. So um, yes, we do weddings, big part, and you do weddings all mm-hmm. over East Yorkshire, right? But the wine aspect of it, again, is totally different. Yep. So I've sent my like supervisors on a WSET course, which is a Wine Spirit and Education Trust, okay. to, to learn how to swill and taste and all uh-huh. that sort of thing. But past that, what training is there for them? Not a lot. Okay. So it, it's trying to juggle that to give them the experience that they need. We can lead on that so much. Yep. But... Is that an opportunity for you guys, potentially, to help yeah. run some of that training and, and branch out into something a little bit different? Potentially. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm always definitely open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the minute, it, it's time as much as anything. Yeah. But yeah, I'd like to think that kind of with my teaching experience, mm-hmm. if I had time to sort of write down a lesson plan and whatever else, it is something we'd be able to deliver. Because yeah. I do think it is things that, like you say, is missing from the curriculum as such yeah that you know if you lived in south africa or you lived in new zealand everyone's taught how to do it and it's part of the culture and it's part of but like i say that for us just isn't a thing Mm -hmm. so we've really got to and are you able to bring in talent from abroad do you ever look at that i mean we potentially could Mm -hmm. um it's not something we've done yet but Yeah. yeah i mean never say never okay Okay. Mm. Right, I'm going to go with some just some signature questions now, dead straightforward. <laughs> so, as a business owner, the one thing you dislike the most? Oof. Okay, so it can be a little 24-7. Okay. Um, I find it really difficult to switch off. Okay. Um, which has its pluses and its negatives, but there are times, and I feel like I just need to be able to cut off. And do you, you recognise that in yourself, though? You know yeah, when you're doing me, it. Yeah, it's taken me quite a while. Okay. But I definitely recognise it now. Like, yeah. And what I think, do you do to fix it? Oh, 
go on holiday. <laughs> go on holiday somewhere there's no signal. Oh, really? So switch the phone off is the answer Literally, to it. Literally, phone off. Yeah. And I have to be properly cut away from things to cut off. That And, and it's a bit of a self-made problem, but... I do recognise that in myself now. And uh-huh. I do sometimes literally just have to take myself away and cut myself off yeah. um, to refocus, get my energy back and get my kind of enthusiasm back yeah. um, once or twice a year. Yeah. I'm, I'm not talking every other week. Yeah. And where's the <laughs> ideal holiday? Oh, somewhere hot and a beach. Yeah. And Are you a, a sit on a beach for two week person? One week, One two week. weeks, okay. and I'd be going a little bit up the wall, I think. Uh-huh. I like a little bit of adventure, yeah, but a little bit of luxury as well. <laughs> well, I. Let's flip it around then. Yeah. So as a business owner, what's the one thing you absolutely love? I just think the sense of achievement mm-hmm. and the sense of we've done it. Like, yeah. not done it. There's always more to do, but, you know, we had a goal, we had a target, and... And here we are, it is achievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if I can do it, you can do it. You know, it's not, there's no magic formula. There's, personally, I don't think there's any luck in it. I think it is just sheer determination, open-mindedness and hard work. Mm-hmm. And everyone's got that in them. Yep. You've just got to find it and be able to, to run with it um, and not doubt yourself mm-hmm. or doubt yourself too much yeah. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. Yep. If you could change anything in the world of business. Oh. What would it be? God. Oh, the amount of paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Admin, right? The amount of admin and stupid boxes you've got to tick. Um, If if I'm honest, I hate that stuff. Okay. I I know you've got to do it. Yeah. But the um, bureaucracy or like, is that the word? Yeah. Yeah, That is the part I just find a bit monotonous. Yeah. And I think it's very, um, you put in a box. Uh Uh-huh. I don't like being put in boxes. Like, you know... You put in a box and you've got a Tixie box for that reason. And I just feel like it's, I understand why it's there, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a part of business that I just think is ridiculous. And I think a lot of the time it's put in place by people who don't actually work in it or understand it or mm-hmm. whatever else. And yeah, I f- yeah, find it monotonous. And if you could remove it, that's And what if you'd I could do. remove it, <laughs> I'd be, you know, I'd need much less beach holidays. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Real right, and then the last one we've got to do it for the cameras. Rock, oh, paper, God, scissors. Are you ready? Right. right, are you ready? Okay, you ready? Quick. Right, rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Oh, oh. Yes. anyway. <laughs> and that's us. What an incredible story, uh, and what an incredible third generation family business. Uh, I mentioned at the start two big takeaways for me from my chat with Alice. Uh, the first is a story of resilience. Uh, I mean, talk about a family with Yorkshire grit, and I think we see it all here in everything we've heard in the, in the stories that we've discussed today. The second big one for me, and I think it's true of a lot of family businesses, is innovation and entrepreneurialism when the cards are down and it's really difficult. There were some really challenging times that the, the family had to transition two or three times um, through, through the generations. And it just shows you when a family can uh, mix all the right ingredients and bring together all of the right sort of family values, just how they can grow and adapt and really build out thriving business. Uh, It's an exceptional story. I hope you enjoyed uh, the the chat as much as I enjoyed taking part in it. And we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Look after yourselves.